it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And we start 2021 looking at brewery buyouts. In this case, the purchase of Two Birds Brewery by Fermentum, the group of companies best known through its ownership of stone and wood. In this episode, one that we hadn't planned on and came as quite a surprise in our first week back for the year, we chat with Two Birds co-founder Jane Lewis and Stone and Wood co-founder Jamie Cook to hear about the background to the purchase, a little about the challenges breweries face in the current climate that may have contributed to the sale, and also Stone and Wood's plans to build a new brewery, potentially funded by an IPO. As always, it's a fascinating discussion about owning and growing a brewery in an ever-crowded beer market, and we hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Jane Lewis, Jamie Cook, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having us. Uh, well, I mean, we've spoken to you both before, but never uh, with such a big, um, uh, a big announcement. Jane, maybe you can lead. Uh, talk us through the, the the big news this week that's uh, got January with our hearts all uh, pumping. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to roll into twenty twenty one. So yeah, very excited that um, Two Birds has become part of the the Fermentum family. We've been adopted and uh yeah taken under the wings of uh of fermentum which is really exciting for us so what does it mean it's good that we're recording this a couple of days later we've been able to see all of the social media chit chat um so obviously you're now a wholly owned business unit within fermentum but what does that mean for two birds as as a brand uh, so for as a brand, you know, the, the, the brand continues and, um, you know, kind of we're able to get access to obviously the, the brains um, and, you know, a bit of new energy and resources and all that kind of stuff that, that goes along with being part of the Fermentum group. But yeah, for us, we see it as a, as a big kind of launching pad and, and a huge opportunity for us to really, um, yeah, I think take things to the next level with Two Birds. And yeah, we just see it as being a, a hugely successful thing for, for the brand going forward. And Jamie, how do things like this come about? You know, we, we particularly this year of all years, we didn't have a good beer week. We didn't have a brew con week and have a casual conversation. How does negotiation start or discussion start around something like this? Oh, look, Jane, Danielle and myself have touched base a number of times over the years, really more sort of on a mentoring basis, you know, just... Um, them reaching out, you know, getting advice and what have you and some some assistance on different things over the years. And I think, um, I guess, uh, it, when, when I guess uh, the girls thought it was a great opportunity to, um, right time, to actually peck on the window um, and, uh, <laughs> so and suggest that maybe... <laughs> Maybe maybe there's an opportunity for us to do things together. Um, then uh, we certainly looked at it. Yeah, that's for sure. So yeah, I mean, I guess we've had a number of these sorts of calls over the years, and uh, none of them really have stacked up in terms of being the right brand or um, in the right place uh, for what for what we were looking for. 
So what is the attraction of, uh, and I'll come back and ask Jane this as well, but what is the attraction of a brand like uh, Two Birds? Obviously you you, uh, you know indicated that having a production base that was bigger than fixation was one thing, but what about the brand itself? Yeah, well, look, I think the whole business, um, you know, what the girls have created is a, is a really strong brand um, within a strong consumer set uh, in, a, in a strong geography. It's, it's you know, it's got it's got a, performs very well in its own backyard um, and and it, and it resonates really well with its core consumer um, and and it's tightly focused uh, and that's what we really like about our other entities in our business um, you know we've, we've played we've developed our other family members through natural childbirth as opposed to adopting them over the last five years or so and they've all been focused on either a, you know a, a geography or a, or a style of beer or a you know, an approach to market. And um, we've been looking at either building our own things over those years or actually looking at acquiring. Um, in the early days of going down the diversification path, we didn't have the capital to be able to go buy acquiring things. Um, and we also had a whole bunch of ideas sitting on the shelf for the years that we just were trying to keep up with stone and wood. So we had those things to give birth to in the, in the short term. It's only really been the last couple of years that we've actually said, okay, now is probably the time to start looking more seriously um, and being open to these sorts of things that outside of the family, if you like. Um, and when Jane and Danielle come along, it, it really said, we just said, yeah, this actually fits with exactly what we're looking for. As I said, a strong brand, um, a good production footprint in the right geography. Um, and it just fitted perfectly with what, you know, the challenges we have from a production viewpoint, but also we see the Two Birds brand being nicely complementing the rest of our products in our, and brands in our portfolio. And how about you, Jane? What was it that led you to sort of uh, start a conversation uh, around becoming part of something else? Well, look, you know, like I said, like Jamie mentioned, we've been chatting to him in sort of a, a mentoring kind of a situation for the last couple of years and just sort of, you know, getting a gauge on, you know, where he thinks our brand can could fit and where, where we could kind of take it. Um, and I guess all of that is sort of a recognition of, you know, Danny and I are trying to work out where to where to from here and kind of a recognition of the fact that we'd probably taken it as far as the two of us could um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, sort of needing to be able to plug into someone else in order to be able to really sort of, you know, take things to that next level, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously the number one choice for us was was most definitely Fermentum. So, you know, it was kind of one of the things was like, hey, Jamie, any, <laughs> where are you, it was kind of like a, where are you guys at? How's, how have things been? And, and, you know, where are you guys positioned right now? That's kind of how it all came about. How tough is it being out there in the market as a relatively, you know, like a, well, small for want of a better word, um, but you know, mature uh, beer brand um, trying to fight, you know, fight for place on the shelves and trying to find that next, you know, sort of volume increase. Yeah, look, so I've kind of considered our business in the ugly teenager, like the pimply teenager phase for a little while now, where it's sort of in this stage where, you know, probably needs a good chunk of cash to kind of take it to, to sort of another level and and you're sort of in a bit of an ugly position in, in terms of some of the, um, you know, the financials. And if you hang out in that space for too long, it, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest position to be. Um, so, yeah, it's 
look, it's hard. I mean, the market's hard. There's 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 no sugarcoating it. It's it's been tough for a while, and um, yeah, you know, we used to fall over growth, um, but you know, it's been much tougher as as the as the entrants come in. Um, so yeah, and we've you know <laughs> been working our asses off and and doing everything that we can, and um, yeah, just sort of found ourselves in a position where it's like, yep, yeah, cool, we could we could use some help. Yeah. You know, we would we would benefit from from a some assistance here. So yeah, oh, and, and again, it was yeah less about the takeover, but more about the the journey you've been on. I think um, last late last year we spoke to to Danny um, as you were starting on your survey of you know beer drinkers and looking ahead to, to towards your ten year because. Um, and when I was preparing for, for this chat, I went back to some of my notes um, uh, about the two birds over the years. And it was interesting, you know, for the first um, couple of years, I'd, I'd sort of written uh, observations, you know, how disciplined the brand was and how directed you were. Um, and you had uh, Golden Ale. I, I, th- I think um, outside of Stone and Wood, there weren't many brands that launched with a beer like a Golden Ale um, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, everyone was going big. Um, and you had the discipline to have the golden ale, the the sunset ale, and gradually expanded. Um, and then, you know, arguably over the last you know eighteen months, two years, there's been a lot more of a frenetic approach to beer releases um, and, and trying to keep up with that. Um, is, I mean, is that where the market's at? That it's very hard to have that strong core range beer um, that you actually have to, you know, cater to that attention deficit side of the market yeah we definitely felt like um if you weren't you know doing those kind of beers you were kind of you weren't relevant you were you know you kind of slipped from people's minds and you you kind of you stopped being front of mind and and um you know as the sort of the brand has matured so to speak then you know you, you it is this whole kind of the culture of the new and whether that be new entrants or new beers or, or whatever else there's a feeling of trying to to kind of keep up with that. Um, so getting involved with that was definitely something that we felt that we needed to do from a brand perspective just to stay just to stay relevant and just mm. to stay um, front of mind. Um, meanwhile, you know, maintaining, recognising where our core range sat and the fact that it, you know, still was our bread and butter and, and still formed such an important part of our business and, and to kind of keep focusing on that. But meanwhile, sort of satisfying that other part of the market as well. So we definitely saw them as talking to two different parts of the market. And yeah, needing to be across all of that in order to be able to kind of, you know, even keep keep the core range um, relevant. It, it's funny, Pete and I had a long chat yesterday, um, and you know, we both were missing the golden ale. And I guess, yeah, you know, unfortunately, our purchasing power isn't enough to keep a beer like that afloat. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it it seems to be a very hard part of the market for a small brewery to play in. You know, with a really high quality, you know, drinkable beer. And so price driven as well, you know, it's a it's a hard one to kind of keep pushing when at, at, it has to be at the right price point in order for those beers to really go well, I think. And I think that can be difficult on our scale. Yeah. I'm not sure who to direct this one to, but obviously, you know, there, there's going to be some brand overlaps between the current Two Birds range and the broader fermentum range. Uh, Jamie, you, you've both got a cider. You've both got a seltzer now. Um, will we see, you know, will, will we see um, the two birds seltzer and the two birds cider survive or has there been any discussions around where the ranges are going to go? The answer to the last part of the question is no. Um, I mean, our, our key focus right at the moment 
is to actually transition. Um, you know, the, the big the big challenge in a lot of this uh, these types of exercises, and I'm not speaking from a massive experience. I've been on the receiving end of a few of these things. This is the first time we've been on the other end of it. But um, is to transition the the operational parts of the business smoothly. Um, so that's the sales piece, that's the production element, and the hospitality part of the business. Make sure they're smoothly transition and still operating the way they need to be then there's a whole process that we've got to go through to know each other's business really well you know it's not a case of two birds coming in and just you know fitting in with how we do things we've got to understand the two birds business because they do things in a certain way and there's reasons why they do that and some of those things they do are probably better than the way we do them so we've got to recognize that and go through a process uh, and make sure that you know the other side of that sort of getting to know each other process we actually start to grow together uh, in, as, a, as a total family and, and yeah part of that will be looking at the portfolio and yeah they're, um, broadly there there's complementary offers across everything there are some overlaps but um, but there's also a geography apply, at play in some of those some of those overlaps so we'll look at that we're not going to rush into it um, you know we've probably got until next summer really to sort of sort through that and, and get on the, get on the right side of it but but going back to your question with Jane around gold mail and what have you I think yeah look you know the, the challenge the challenge in the craft categories um, if you have a lot of your volume tied up in a sub segment that starts to fall away as a sub segment then you know your business is going to be challenged by that um, and we've seen that overseas you know with um, you know amber ales for example in America and brewers having their hat firmly sat on that segment um, but what I think Jane and Danielle have done underneath underneath everything they're doing in terms of their innovative stuff is the pale ale that they've sort of transitioned a lot of their core volume to is a bloody cracking beer and, and it's gaining a real foothold in its local market. And that's that's a really impressive thing for us to see is, is yeah, that beer is a bloody great beer, as every beer that Jane brews is, but this is this is really a strong product in a segment of the market that is, you know, more than half of the craft beer market is pale ale. So, and it's not like that's going to disappear in the next two or three years. So, so it's good that um, the brand has a great foothold in that in that segment of the market. Um, and that's 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 one of the powers of powers of it, I think. And then there's obviously stuff we can leverage off that. You know, I think the as you say, the non-beer stuff, the cider and salsa, is an area where the two birds brand can play, I think, quite nicely. Um, but there's also that sort of crossover between beer and those segments also that I think um, Two Birds also plays a role. And, you know, Taco was probably leading the charge in that, um, mm. in that space around sort of slightly differentiated but highly drinkable um, beers. And um, and that's, so I think it's a, it's a pioneer in that space as a business and need to do more in that space. Is, is that something that having a brand like Two Birds, uh, Stone & Wood has been very successful at, you, you've got a very strong core range under the Stone & Wood brand itself, but then uh, you've had the, you know, the, the, the IPA or that sort of more craft beer hop driven, um, for want of a better term, through fixation. Um, is Two Birds going to allow you to have some, um, you know, freedom to bring in beers that may not fit under the stone and wood brand or may not sort of uh, be sit so nicely yeah potentially i mean that's the stuff that we'll have to work through and um you know we might we might have to come up to your office and work on your whiteboard over the next few months uh, behind you there <laughs> tap into your brains trust uh, on that but um no look you know that's that's the thing um you know and there's and there's 
that's right. And, and we've said to both teams over the last couple of days on this is that, you know, we've got to understand each other's business. And um, there might be things that Stone and Wood's currently doing that might be better suited to be driven by two birds, for example. One of the things that I also noted about uh, Two Birds is how strong a brand it's always been. Both Jane and Danielle have been, uh, you know, leaders um, across the industry, but then also very strong with the first female-owned brewery and the branding around that. Does that give a very strong platform for some of the beers to be launched with the muscle that Stone and Wood can bring to it? Yeah, I, you know, I mean... Um and in some of the media releases and stuff we've rolled out in the last few days, I think we recognise that, you know, Jane and Danielle have really sort of been the trailblazers um, from a diversity viewpoint. That'd be a great name for a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, funny that. And, um, but but that's, that's, not, that's not the be-all and end-all of the two-bird story. You know, there's more depth to it. That is, there's, there's a great mm. range of beers underneath that. Um, but certainly I think uh, it, it certainly helps... Um, sort of start to think about, well, yes, there's space we can play there better with, with the Two Birds brand. Jane, with the – it's a hard question to ask, I guess, because I don't know the financial details, but was there a sense of relief that comes from, you know, presumably being uh, relieved of some of the, the burden that comes with owning and debt and those sorts of things? Yeah, look, I mean, from a number of perspectives, but, yeah, look, I mean – mostly as well from a, um, you know, an emotional sort of standpoint as much as anything else and, you know, the the standpoint of um, wearing seven hats, you know, like being the HR person, being the brewer, being the person who manages the nest and doing all of it really, really badly because you're so <laughs> thin and so stretched and, um, you know, being able to share some of that now is like a weight has been lifted off my chest, you know, personally, just feeling like, you know, you don't, you're not holding all of that yourself now. And, and you know, the, the, the well-being of 15 staff and, and, you know, trying to make sure that everyone's looked after and happy and whatever else, like, you know, I, I forget to look after myself all the time because I feel like all of my energy sort of is, is going out. It's just relief for me yeah that feeling of just having people around you who are going to be able to support you and the resources and um yeah people to just kind of help you help you through it all trust me that resonates with me as a small business owner who does all of that yourself <laughs> and you're the hr manager and all of that i i would sort of inform that question in some way um would jane today go back and give any advice to Jane from 10 years ago about um, the wisdom of opening a brewery or, you know? <laughs> I mean, Jane now would definitely punch future Jane <laughs> in the face if she decided that she wanted to open a brewery again. <laughs> um, I certainly wouldn't change anything. I'm not exactly sure. I might need some time on that to get to a stage where I've sufficiently processed it to have any good uh, advice that I would have gone back and given to to pass Jane but um wouldn't have changed anything have loved every single part of it you know as much as it's been personally challenging and um you know has has kind of you know it's, it's been the it's been a roller coaster um but yeah it wouldn't change a single single thing about it at all 
I'm just being very humble there, Matt. Um, my, my view would be that um, if, um, if current Jane um, talked past Jane out of doing it, um, I think our industry would be a lot poorer for it. Um, I think both what Jane and Danielle have uh, achieved and what they've managed to, um, I think, inspire a lot of other people in the industry to do has uh, been fantastic. And there's probably a lot of young women um, who wouldn't be in our industry today if it wasn't for the trail that Jane and Danielle blazed and gave them inspiration to do so. So, um, yeah, it'd be a sad day if current Jane took past Jane out of that. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a good thing you don't have a DeLorean time travel machine. So that's good. <laughs> um, I'd make a time machine out of a mash tun. Um, or something like that. But, uh, Mash tun time machine? <laughs> yeah. I think they did it with a hot tub. Um, <laughs> but, again, when the, the, the notes I made, you know, you guys were always very strategic. You know, there's a, um, a lot of breweries that open as contract brands, always intending to open a brewery, but you guys were always on a very clear path that, you know, you're going to build the brand, establish it, open the, 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 the brewery. Would it – do you think you would have – kept the brand as strong if you'd stayed as a, a contract brand with you both as a figurehead or you know, was opening the, the, the Spotswood, um, the, the nest, um, a, a big part of the growth of the brand? Having the physical brewery was uh, absolutely crucial to, to everything that we needed to do from then. Like we had sort of, we recognised that not having that was was absolutely stopping us from getting a foothold. So we'd sort of felt like we had plateaued at a point where people were like, oh, yeah, look, yeah, I just want to sort of feel it, understand it more. And, and you know, in a it's really different these days, I guess, but contract options, they weren't everywhere and, you know, there weren't as many small breweries kind of giving away space and whatever. So if you wanted to do a small run of something or whatever, like, you know, it was always challenging. So it would have really limited what we could have done and hence then would have limited what the brand could have been. And um, so, yeah, it was a crucial part um, to what we were going to do. And, you know, yeah, absolutely something that, that has us where we are today. Conversely, now that you've got the stainless steel and the and the venue and all of the responsibilities and you know debt um, and things that that come with that, how hard is it having a lot of, um, for want of a better term, um, you know vanity breweries or dilettante breweries or small little contract brands that sort of spring up around the country without those sense of obligations? But you know I. I lost count of how many little brands have sprung up even in the last 12 or 18 months where you know we've got an idea for a beer brand we're going to fax off an order and suddenly we're out there banging the drum is that hard for for an established brewery to try and compete with the ever you know novel um breweries that are that are appearing oh look i don't know yeah i it's such an each to their own sort of situation as well. I'm like, you know what, that's cool. That's your choice. And, and you know, that's the way you choose to set up your business. And this is the way I've chosen to set up mine. And yeah, I think it's just, it's just life and the way things play out. I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, had much of been something that's really been on our kind yeah. of radar all of that much or, or that's had a massive impact on us personally. And Jamie, as part of the announcement, you also announced the major, you know, the, the, the major plans to, um, you know, build a forty million litre 
brewery um, having I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a brewery in as great a state of flux um, as the Mwollumbar Brewery since you opened it. Uh, every time I'm there, you've, you've sprouted a couple of new tanks in the tank cellar and now you've uh, announced that you're going to build uh, a, a new, even larger brewery just down the road. Um, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, yeah, this has been on the go for some time, probably um, probably two years into our life at Mwollumbar. We realised that um, what we built there um, probably wasn't going to be sufficient for the long-term future. Um, certainly from some of the, you know, more recent sellers we put in there and stuff, um, that they'll last forever. But um, but, but a brew house, our brew house structure, um, you know, 50 hectare brew house to start with and then running two in parallel um, was always going to have a, shelf life if we are if we continue to grow um uh, and that doesn't it's not the most efficient way to brew beer it's the most efficient way to buy and build a brew house <laughs> spend wise but um but uh it's yeah it's not the most efficient way to produce a particularly product like pacific ale which is you know starting to get some long run sort of production requirements around it because it gives us flexibility to brew all the other small things uh and then you know i think we've, we've still got quite a, we've got a bit of a runway on our packaging lines um but but at some point in the future they will sort of come under pressure as well um so so we knew um a couple of years in that at some point we we're going to need to build a bigger brewery um and we just had to we were slowing the growth down actually the business so that we didn't get to that point too quickly um, and so four years ago, we come across a block of land just down the road from the brewery in Moolumbar, came on the market. Um, we jumped on it um, just as a way of sort of future-proofing the business. Um, luckily, we did because the flood, that was the year before the floods down there and um, the price tri- has tripled since, so um, of land of land in the area. So Why? Because um, it didn't flood? Yeah, yeah, it's out, <laughs> of, the, out of the floodplain. <laughs> Um, so, um, so that was four years ago. And then two years ago, we said, okay, we're creeping towards that point. It's, um, so we need to get our act together. Um, so we put a project together, which actually basically allowed us to sort of cost it up and scope it up. And so that's taken about a 12 month window out of our build time, if you like. Um, so it's shortened what would have been probably a three year project from the time we said yes to the time we had beer out of it down to a two-year project now. So I've done all the upfront work. Uh, so we said that was great, um, saw the dollar value of it and went, yeah, okay, let's just put that on the shelf for a little while uh, and continue to grow along. Um, but now I think um, particularly the way we recovered out of COVID last year uh, and the business is still growing quite strongly, um, it's, it's not going to be long before we start to hit the numbers where it will make sense. Um, so we've got to start getting serious now about how we fund it and um, start to put things in place. And, and you mentioned COVID, and I understand you know, as, as one of the largest, um, well, in, well, by far the largest independent um, keg-driven um, breweries uh, in, in the country with the close down of venues early in 2020. Um, like a lot of breweries, you put emphasis on, on, on packaged, um, including, and, uh, you know, seeing that grow that uh, like a lot of small venues then gave yourself renewed production issues once kegs came back on. Is that a, a summary of one of the things that's driven the, the, the shortfall in the last Christmas, the, the expansion of the, the package product? Uh, no, not really. I, I, certainly, um, you know, back March last year, we lost 55% of our business overnight. Um, and 
we had to recover pretty quickly in the package beer side of things did um, compensate for a fair bit of it. Um, but very quickly, by about June, I think, um, draft beer was starting to get back online. And, and, and back in March, we forecast we wouldn't have draft beer until October mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, uh, so we were, we were fortunate all that happened a lot earlier. Um, and, you know, I think through, and so, we were able to start building stock again back in June um, to, to help us get through Christmas, um, but once again, we just we just didn't get through Christmas, and and that's just that's just ongoing growth, brand growth of things like Pacific Art, Cloudcatcher, Green Coast, Fixation Obsession, all those things are are really rocketing along. So um, so we just we just said you know we're going to have to. It comes down to we can spend a little bit more money at Mullumbar, but spending more money in our current site um, doesn't make a lot of sense given given we need to at some point invest big in the next site. So, um, yeah, we just said that time, time to blow the dust off. The other big piece was um, being in a, fort- in a much stronger cash position and financial position as a business, um, you know, and we wouldn't have foreseen we would be in this position financially um, 12 months ago either, particularly... <laughs> 10 months ago um, when we lost half the business. But, um, but yeah, we've been able to grow out of COVID in it. and, you know, and a lot of businesses around the country, not just in beer, have been through this process where you cut every cost you could um, because you, lose, you lost half your business and you don't know really how certain the future is. Uh, and what it actually does, it improves your profitability. Um, and then you get, you know, six months down the track and you start to recover and you go, hey, we're actually growing again and we actually didn't need a lot of that cost. So um, you end up being much more uh, efficient and profitable. So, um, and that's the position we're in now. So we're like, okay, and we've managed to, you know, our debt position is still quite low. So a lot of things are starting to line up to say, okay, it's starting to make sense to, to take that next step. What percentage um, of production is does Pacific Ale make up of uh, the, the, the broader portfolio? Still about 80%. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, do, do you have any concerns, particularly given we've seen Coopers you know, change their session ale to Pacific Ale and you know, very closely target that Pacific Ale drinker um, and some of the other big brewers have, uh, have brought out Pacific Ale that they may start to you know, mow the lawn of, uh, of the original Pacific Ale? Yeah, look, um, certainly, you know, and we've seen those things come and some of them go in the last uh, five years, probably three to five years. Um, and, you know, yeah, you've got you've to look at that and go, okay, um, you know, success has a thousand echoes, they say. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we've managed to ward off a number of them already and you just got to back your, back your brand. Um, it is a strong brand, still growing. And it's at a strong price premium to those Johnny Come Latelys to the segment. Um, and um, you know, at the moment, we've got absolute confidence in it. But but at the same time, it still sits there as a you know a risk in the business that a product with that strength, that that size volume, uh, is is in your portfolio. But you know. If you're Heineken or um, you know whatever, they've got a similar. They've got a similar sales mix across their product and they're, you know, still growing. Um, mm. So, you've, you know, in one way is a risk and the other way it's a great strength. And I think the strength is it gives you so much efficiency um, of production but also expenditure um, and focus in your team. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things in a, in a business, yeah, you, you've got you to you wear some risk. 
to grow. Would you feel more comfortable if you had a stronger second string to the bow rather than a whole lot of uh, much smaller um, but, but strong brands? Yeah, look, and, you know, part of part of what we've been doing over the last couple of years is, is things like Crowdcatcher and Green Coast, you know, um, and that's part of freeing up production capacity to be able to give them opportunity to produce more beer so we can grow those other things, um, you know, Fixation Obsession and obviously now Two Birds, um, you know, we'll want to we'll be growing those brands as well to be stronger second fiddles, if you like. Green Coast is my number one uh, Stonewood beer these days, so it's it's the one I seem to keep in the fridge a lot more than Pacific Ale. So hopefully that'll continue to grow. Do you keep an eye on, or did you are you mindful of what we saw happen to some of the breweries in the states that were in the equivalent position of Stonewood? They invested in significant section second production breweries, um, and you know what have you learned from what they did and uh, uh, applying to to your own expansion? Yeah, um, certainly. And um, I think the big one is um, a project like this has a long lead time. Um, so you've got to try and shorten that lead time as possible because, you know, the, the world can change on you in the time it's taking you to build it. Um, secondly, we've, we've been through this before in a smaller step change from Byron to Moolumba. Um, and, you know, we made sure that we, we rung out the first brewery uh, as much as we could before we took that step. And therefore that de-risked the second step for us. So, yeah, although, you know, this brewery will have a startup capacity of 40 million litres, um, it, it doesn't need to be doing 40 million litres for it to make financial sense. Um, you know, it's probably more like um, mid-20s um, for it to make sense. And it would be great to have a brewery where we've actually got capacity, <laughs> spare capacity. Oh, what a feeling that would be. <laughs> And that's a feeling we haven't had since, you know, 2010 or whatever. Um, so as long as the financial thing makes sense and you're de-risking it, and I think that's where a few – the learning we've had from looking overseas is people get too far ahead of the curve, uh, go out there and fund it um, in a risky way as well, uh, and then end up in strife because the growth hasn't followed through to the level they needed it to for it to make sense. And one of the things in the, the, the media release you, you flagged was a potential IPO, so a potential stock market listing. You, you don't think the old equity crowdfunding where you give people a T-shirt and return for $5,000 has, uh, has legs? <laughs> oh, well, you know, if we looked at that model, um, 20, what was it, how many times uh, turnover? <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure, but, you know, uh, BrewDog's valued at $100 million, um, and I don't think they've... Yeah, I think it was twenty leaders. times revenue. So, um, yeah, twenty times our revenue would be a really nice ah. number to be able to float on the stock market. But no, look, um, look, we need to look at all alternatives. Um, you know, obviously, we'll continue to build our cash reserves and and take as much cash as we can. Debt is quite cheap at the moment, um, but has risk attached to it. And you know, it's it's like sticking a very heavy backpack on and going for a hike when you got when you're loaded with debt. Um, uh, and certainly, you know, going back to existing shareholders or other shareholders through an IPO is on the table, but it, that, those are probably the more extreme ends of the options. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, we've, we've, got, we've got a group of uh, employee shareholders that we need to tell that, you know, we're quite transparent with, you know, we're going to need to explore all options. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so what's the, the, the time frame you, you, you're looking at 12 to 18 months, uh, you, you were saying? Or is yeah, it sometime in the next sometime in the next twenty four months, um, we will push the button. 
um, and then there'll be a two-year build. Um, but, but, you know, the next six to eight months is about lining up how we're going to fund it. So, Jane, what's, what's next for Two Birds? Uh, I, I guess you're going to have to have some either a lot of Zoom meetings with uh, Jamie and the team or hopefully the borders are going to open so you can actually come up for a visit. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, that would be nice. It's, uh, you know, I feel like we've been locked in Victoria for a while now. So, uh, yeah, it would be good to get out. But um, Don't come to yeah, Brisbane, look, you'll be locked down again. <laughs> exactly. We don't want that. Um, yeah, look, obviously we we you know, just need to transition and, and sort of settle in and, and really work out um, – where to from here and, and how we move forward together. So changes, but really uh, positive, exciting changes. And will, will there be any changes to the nest? You know, for example, will we see it stay exclusively two birds or with, with the production of fixation down there, will that just be in, in, in the background and we won't notice any um, change to the two birds side of uh, the, the Spotswood venue? Oh, most of our, most of all of our tap rooms pretty much highlight the 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 brand that's um the, you know they're there to represent so um yeah the, the two birds nest will be very much a showcase for the two birds brands in the tasting room there yeah terrific well I, I don't have anything else unless uh either of you have got anything that you want to uh, say or you know drop a bombshell on us <laughs> no no enough bombshells for the week Matt. Well, yeah, um, no, it, it was a hell of a way to start the year again <laughs> it certainly uh, there was no easing into it. No. no, look, and, um, you know, it's been a bloody challenging process, obviously, um, you know, with uh, not being able to move around to do something like this and do it all via Zoom and, uh, you know, it's poor old Jane was there on Monday down in, down in the, the nest on her own because Danielle was um, trapped in WA. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a challenging time for people to deliver the news like that to their team mm. um, and not being able to do it in in person, in fight, in front of them. So, um, and yeah, just through the whole process, and and you know, um, Chan and Danielle have carried themselves really well through this. It's been amazing how they've represented themselves and the business through something like this. Um, how just, did the team respond, Jane? I, I guess it would have been a very different sort of announcement or tone of the announcement than having to say to the team that look, we're now part of CUB. You're lying. Yeah. Look. Um, yeah, it was really tough. Um, you know, one of the things that we do pride ourselves on um, is, you know, creating a really good family culture. Um, and so, you know, kind of moving from, I guess, the current ownership structure of, of Danny and I, um, even to, you know, another, you know, a company that we really respect and, and that's independent and Australian owned and all that kind of stuff is effectively still a, a larger family company, um, still came as a real, a real shock. Um, to our staff um and yeah look it was a, it was a heavy day it was a really heavy day um and yeah hats off to them they've kind of you know taken it in their strides and um it was unfortunate we, we weren't in a position to be able to take everybody across so um it was a it was a really sad day and did feel like you know there was there was some yeah some hurt and some different emotions going on. So um, we're working all through it now and um, obviously doing our best as we can to, to support everyone and, and, you know, obviously balancing what was tough with something that, you know, we feel so strongly about and, and something that we feel really, really optimistic about um, and being able to feel both of those emotions at the same time. Um, but, yeah, excited um, and, yeah, can't wait to see where we can take this thing together. 
Well, I think that's as good a place as anywhere to, to, to leave it. So, uh, Jane and Jamie, thank you very much for a, a little bit of your time to in a, in a very busy week and really looking forward to seeing uh, what 2021 brings for the merged companies. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Matt. Matt. Really lovely to chat. And that was Jane Lewis and Jamie Cook. I appreciate them making a little bit of time in a busy week to go through that in such detail. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt, who we are thrilled to announce are back supporting us for another year of conversations. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and our premium podcasting partner. Cryomalt is proud to sponsor this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. 